Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're, of course, continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Of course, we're near the end. In fact, last week, if you remember in verse 50, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He has died. He has died on the cross. We saw that he died spiritually when he was separated from the Father when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That spiritual death, now he dies physically. And so we've been seeing that. He lays down his life for us. Now, there are some events. There are some super supernatural events that happen at the death of Jesus Christ when he dies. And why? Well, some will say, well, it's to show who he is and what he's done. We've already mentioned a little bit of it. If you remember from at 12 o'clock, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, it became completely dark as if it was night. It's right in the middle of the day. I know that uh, shocked a lot of people. The soldiers that were there, one of the soldiers uh, and and several of them all said that they thought he was the son of God. This morning, we're going to see three events. We're going to see the veil is torn in the temple. We're going to see an earthquake. or uh, And then we're going to see some tombs and People come out of tombs. We're going to talk about that. So I call these three amazing supernatural events. We're going to say, what should we do? What should we think about when we look at this? Well, you know, when we say the word death, because we just say Jesus died on the cross, and we know that he died spiritually and he died physically. When we say death, you know, our world, when we talk about it, it, it happens all the time. People say people die all the time. But there's fear in death. When people think about death, they, they, they think like, well, it's so unknown. What happens when a person dies? We know as believers, we say, well, we know what the Bible says. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, we look in the scripture and we only see two people, the best we can see, that never died physically. One was Enoch and one was Elijah. Elijah is the person that we're studying on in our grow groups. Man has a fear of death. There is an aspect of it. Samuel Johnson once wrote, he said, men fear death as children fear going into the dark. It's just an unknown thing. It appears so final, even though we know from the scripture that death is not, is not the end. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, death and resurrection, he paid for sin, it was paying for sin, and conquering death. Death is not the end. So as we study this morning, what happened when Jesus Christ died physically on the cross? And as we study that, we're going to see some things. And this passage actually even mentions his resurrection. Even before we get to that, before we get to the burial, it talks about his resurrection. Well, as we've been seeing this, we saw that Jesus, when he was on the cross, made seven statements. If you remember that, and you see a little bit in Matthew, but we had to go to the other Gospels to put it together. If you remember, he said at the very beginning, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was in Luke. And then he told the thief on the cross with him who had believed in him. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he told his mother, to, mother that, see, there's your son, John. And he said, John, there's your mother. So he basically gave his mother to John, the one who wrote the gospel of John, to take care of his mother. At that time, none of his brothers were believers. And then he said one of the key things, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when he was taking the sin of mankind upon himself. The fellowship was broken with the Father. And so he calls him, my God, my God, and he is paying for our sins. He then says, I thirst they bring this uh, reed, a stick up, put to his mouth with a sponge on it so he can uh, drink some vinegar, some wine, so he can talk. And then he has his final two statements, it is finished, and into thy hands I commit my spirit. And we saw those last time. And, of course, it is finished means that it's all been done. It has been paid for. Sin is paid for. And then he gives himself back to the Father. One thing to remember is when he's taken the sin of the world upon himself, he says, my God, my God. When he's back into fellowship after paying for sin and it's all done, he says, Father. And so that's a key thing to look at. Let me 
break down the passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus gives up his life. That's verse 50. Saw that last week. And then we're going to see these three events, the veil, the earthquake, and the tombs. What happens there? And I call them the three supernatural events. Well, as we begin, I want you to think about it. If you were there, now, uh, best we can tell is John, who had Jesus' mother, they probably already left. None of the other disciples are there. There are people who made fun of Jesus. They're religious leaders. There's the Roman soldiers. And, and there's some women, uh, Mary Magdalene, and, some, and they're, they're there. And you know it's a sad time. There's sorrow. There's grief. They loved him. They're watching. And from a human st- standpoint, we say, this is a terrible thing. But from a God standpoint, it's perfect because he is dying for us, paying for our sins, and he is our Savior. Notice again, look at verse 50 of Matthew 27. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. To cry out, uh, you know, that's one reason he said, I thirst. They got something for his lips so he could talk. And he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, what exactly did he say? Matthew doesn't tell us, but both Luke and John tell us. He said, it is finished, telestai, and into your hands. Now, we saw it last week. These two things are so powerful. When he said, it is finished, that means the work is done. The payment has been made. Jesus has already paid for the sins. A lot of times people, and we talked about it last week, people say, Jesus paid for sin when he died on the cross, and they're thinking his physical death. Actually, he paid for sin when he was separated from the Father, his spiritual death on the cross. It is finished. It's already finished before he dies physically. It was all complete. Then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mentioned a while ago that he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's back in the fellowship. One of the things we have to look at, notice it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This we said last week. This is not a normal word for dying. This is that he gave up his spirit. He is in control, as John ten eighteen says. He says, I lay down my life, I take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. He's in control. His life didn't just slip away from him. It is an act of his will that he dies. He dies suffering for us sinlessly because he had no sin. He dies suffering silently as the Lamb of God who uh, doesn't say anything uh, except what we see, of course, on the cross. And then he died as our substitute. He took our place. Uh, uh, so at, at the death of Christ, we just see it right there in verse 50, there's going to be three events, three big things. Well, let's look at them. Let me, let me just read for you. It says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and tombs were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So we just read those verses. We see those three things. Well, let's think about them. And the first one is the veil was torn in the temple. The veil in the temple. Now, you remember we talked about this last week that there in the temple, there's a front room and a back room. There's a room called the Holy Place and they're called the Holy of Holies. And there was a curtain in between. When Jesus died on the cross, that it died, uh, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Let me give you some ideas. This is a, a scale model of the temple. This is a door they would come in. It's called the Eastern Gate, sometimes called the Golden Gate. There are other doors on the side. Tradition has that if you came in here, you had to walk all the way across. You did not go out the same door that you came in. That's their tradition. If you notice that this was a place that you could come and you'd go through that gate right there. On the other side of that gate is an altar, which is called the Brazen Altar, where they offered the sacrifices. So you could come in this area 
area. You could come back over here. One was called the court of the Gentiles. One was called the court of women. You could go in those areas. But once you went through this gate, you had to have a sacrifice to give to a priest, whether it, whether it was something for something good or whether it was from sin. You couldn't go any further than that. The priest could go. They could go all around, and the priest could go into this room. And let me just show you a little bit about it. This is... A room. Now, this is not exactly done well, but when you come through the gate, through the door, this is the tabernacle, but it's the same as the temple. On one side was a lampstand, on the other side was the table of showbread, and this is called the altar of incense, but it really, if this was correct, it should be at the back, right by this curtain. And this is the curtain, which is called the veil of the temple. On the other side of this curtain is a room called Holy of Holies. This is called the Holy Place, this is called the Holy of Holies. On the other side was the Ark of the Covenant, it was like a box. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was a golden lid that had two angels, two cherubim, with their wings stretched out like this, facing each other. Now, you can get a better view, or just a view is, if this is the holy place, this is the veil, and this is the holy of holies where the Ark is. The veil tore right here from the top to the bottom. I got one more drawing just a little help you. You'd come into the, uh, basically inner court, go into that porch, and by the way, only the priest could come into this room. Only the priests could come in there and light the candles and put the bread out once a week and keep the altar of incense going. Now, if you remember, there is a curtain right there. It goes all the way across. That drawing doesn't show it that way. It goes all the way across. On the Day of Atonement, which is on the 10th day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, and it just happened this last week, was the Day of Atonement for Jewish people. On the Day of Atonement, they covered the sins of Israel for a year. And so the priest, the high priest, would come out here and change clothes in front of the people. He would kill a bull, take the blood, go all the way to the back. He would take the incense and put it behind the curtain and then go in the back room. The only time he could go in the back room was on the Day of Atonement once a year. He would go back there, pour out the blood of the bull for himself. He would then come back out. He would take a goat right here, kill the goat, go all the way back in, go behind the curtain, and pour out the blood of the goat. It was covering the sins of Israel for a year. So you've got to remember that this is, that nobody went into that back room except the high priest once a year, and nobody saw back in that room except the high priest once a year. And so what I've got here, the high priest could go into the back room once a year on the day of atonement. On the day that Jesus died, that that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And it was an amazing. The priest could go in there only once. And by the way, they say that the, the veil was really heavy. It was long. Let me give you an idea of what it looked like. This is from Exodus when they describe making the veil. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and find it twisted material. It should be made with cherubim. I mean, the Lord's going to have an angel on it. Uh, you will hang it on the four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold. It's going to have gold hooks. Then it says, you shall hang up, this is verse 33, you shall hang up the veil under the clasp and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. In other words, on the other side in the holy of holies is the ark. Then it says, and the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. So those drawings that we saw, that veil separated the front room from the back. It separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was symbolic that the way to God, that you could not get to the way to God because you had to have a priest go before you. And so it blocked the way. On the, on the day that Jesus Christ died, that veil 
was torn from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. And I want to show you something. Hold your place right there in Matthew and flip over to the book of Hebrews, almost toward the back of your Bible. If you get to James, you've gone too far. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. I want you to see something. Hebrews chapter 9. Just turn there. And I want you to see the writer of the Hebrews is giving us the description of what we just talked about. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and a earthly sanctuary. That's talking about those rooms. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, that's the holy place, in which there was a lampstand and the table, a table of sacred bread is called the holy place. And behind the veil, there's the tabernacle, which is called the holy of holy. So just what we saw a while ago, there's the front room and then there's the curtain and the back room. Now notice this in verse 6. Now, when these things had been prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle for performing the divine worship. They could come into the holy place. Watch the next verse. But into the second, the holy of holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood. He had to take blood there, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. That's when they cover the sin of Israel. Notice the next verse. The Holy Spirit is signifying, signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not been disclosed, not open yet, while the outer tabernacle is standing. He says, as long as that curtain is there, you don't have the access. And that's why in the Old Testament, until Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, that's why the priests were there. That's why they covered sin. They never paid for sin. That's why the veil is there. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil is torn away, and now you have access directly to God. We don't come through a priest. We come through Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. Look look what it says, Hebrews 10, 19. It says, therefore, brethren, we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We come through the blood of Jesus. By a new living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. That's his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. We have a great high priest. Our great high priest is Jesus. He is the one. Look at this right here in Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let's draw near with confidence. We can come to the throne of grace. You know why? Because the veil is gone and we can come directly to the Father. That's why Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So when that veil tore that morning, you can imagine what the priest thought about it. By the way, Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon. When he died at three o'clock in the afternoon, the veil was torn. If you remember from last week, they had a morning sacrifice at nine. They had an evening sacrifice at three. There were priests in the, te- in the temple when the veil tore from the top to the bottom. I can imagine that a priest in there looked up and suddenly the veil was torn from the top to the bottom and they could see into the back room. It was an amazing thing. Arno C. Gabeline said this. He said, what terror must have seized the priest when God's hand tore the veil opening, opening the view of the most holy place. Acts chapter 6 says, many of the priests became believers when they saw the veil gone between the front room and the back room, torn by God when Jesus died. Many of the priests said, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. I believe in him. That's what they were doing. It's incredible. J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, 
What was the most significant sign? Was it the darkness? The earthquake was a shock, but the veil being torn from the top to the bottom would have been clearly understood by any Jew. No longer does man come through an earthly priest, but through the great high priest Jesus who has opened the way for us. Go back to Matthew chapter 27. And so we see that when Jesus died, symbolically with the veil being torn, God says, you can come directly to me Sin is paid for. Now you can come straight to God. And it's so amazing for us. Now we take it for granted because that's all we've ever known. We talk about, oh, I can go to God. I can pray to God anytime. I can talk to God anytime. I can confess my sins. I can do anything I want to. Jewish people didn't do that. They had sacrifices. They had a wall. They had the, the curtain that was there. The way was not there. They had to have the priest to go in the way with the sacrifices. And then the veil was torn and the way is open. Wow. That's incredible. Well, that's one event. There's another supernatural event. That's an earthquake. And look what we see uh, in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. There's an earthquake. And, and by the way, the, the earth shook, the Greek word is seismos, and, and uh, the rocks were split. This happened at the death of Jesus Christ. This is showing God's judgment on the sins of the world that were placed on Christ. And you know, when, when that earthquake happened, it made people stop and think. I want you to look down at verse 54. Let me put this up at verse 54. It said, now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, last week I mentioned and I said that this centurion who controlled 100 soldiers, he was the one that said Jesus is the Son of God. But if you look carefully at the passage, it says the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus. That's at least four other Roman soldiers. There were four soldiers for every person that was crucified. So the centurion and four soldiers, and by the way, it's plural down here when it says, they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Wow, that earthquake. And they, they just went, oh my gracious. Can you imagine? First of all, it's all dark. It turned dark from 12 to 3. And then there's an earthquake. Jesus died. They don't know anything about the veil being torn in the temple because they're not even near the temple, but the priest would know. And so the veil is torn open the way to God. The earthquake to get their attention. There's one more event. And this is really strange. Look what happened. Verse 52 it says that the tombs were opened. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. So we got something a little bit weird here. Tombs were opened. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, and died physically, graves were opened. And when we think about tombs, they were either caves, you know, they, they, put, they didn't bury people very deep in the ground, or they had caves in which they put people in the caves and they rolled rocks over. It says that when this earthquake happened and when Jesus died, tombs were opened. Graves were opened. And, and, and notice what it says, and the graves were opened, uh, and many bodies the bodies of the saints, of the believers who had fallen asleep were raised. In other words, people who had died who were believers, they're raised. At the death of Jesus Christ, they were raised. Now, he's showing that death is conquered. Now, I want you to notice something. You've got to read carefully. Look what it says in the next verse. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Look, 
Jesus was resurrected. He came back from the dead. Then these people came out after Christ's resurrection. I want you to notice the graves were opened at Christ's death, but the bodies didn't come out until after Christ's resurrection. That's what it says. So can you imagine that when Jesus died, physically, graves were opened. Jesus goes in the heart of the earth three days, three nights. He's raised after three days and three nights. Then these bodies come out of the grave. Now you might even ask, why, why, why would it be that way? Why? Because he's the first, he's the first one from the dead. He's the, the first fruits from the dead. He's the first one to be resurrected, Jesus is. Now let's think about those people for just a second, okay? So Jesus dies, graves are open, Jesus is raised. Three days later, after Jesus is raised, these bodies come out, and it says, they came, they, they, and coming out of their tomb, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Now, a bunch of people who knew that Aunt Martha's already dead, she's raised and comes back into the city after the death of Jesus Christ. And they probably said something like, Martha, I thought you were, I thought you were dead. She's raised from the dead. Now, let's raise a question. What happened to these people? What happened to these people? Well, first of all, either they rose from the grave and they're still there. If they were resurrected, which means resurrected means never to die again. If they were raised from the grave, never to die again, and they're, they're still there. You know, you might see them and you go, golly, you, you look young to be, you know, 2,000, you know, you know. Second, they could have risen from the grave, resurrected, and when Jesus ascended into heaven, they went with him somehow. Now, the Bible doesn't say when Jesus ascended, the, the disciples were with him on the top of the Mount of Olives, and they saw him go. Nobody else is listed there, but it's a possibility that maybe in some way and somehow uh, Jesus took them with him. But the third view is probably maybe the best one, that it was resuscitation, the same as Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus raised him from the grave. But that wasn't resurrection, it was resuscitation, because Lazarus died again. And you remember the little 12-year-old girl that Jesus raised from the dead? She died again. And remember the widow at Nain, her son, who died? I'm sure he, uh, Jesus raised him from the grave. I'm sure he died again. So what probably may have happened is people who had died, Jesus, they were resuscitated at, the, at the Jesus' victory over death, and they came back into the city and probably died again at a, at a different time. We just don't know. Now, here's a great truth. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, all people will be raised from the dead. Notice this verse right here. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He's the first one to be resurrected. For since by a man, that's Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all people die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Not just some, all will be made alive. Each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those are Christ at his coming. You have to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the entire world, and then he was buried and he rose again, conquering death. He conquered death for every human being. Some people will be, will be raised from the dead to live eternally with Jesus Christ. It's called eternal life, and it's because of faith. They trusted in Christ. Some people will be raised from the dead and live eternally separate. Let me say it in a different way. Exist eternally for all time. It's called the second death. It's because they rejected Jesus Christ. So some who believe in Je those who believe in Jesus Christ have eternal life. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ have the second 
death. They will all exist forever because Jesus Christ has conquered death. That's something we got to remember. A lot of people think only believers will be raised from the dead. Every human being will be raised from the dead because Jesus Christ has conquered death. So we've seen death is not the end. We've seen these three supernatural events. The veil was torn. The way is open to God. The earthquake to get their attention. And believers are raised after Christ's resurrection to show that death is conquered and there's a victory. There's more to come because we're going to see some amazing events. We're going to see the women who are at the tomb. Everybody else is gone. I mean, excuse me, at the cross. They're there. We're going to then see, let me just say this. When, when, the, when the crucifixion is over, you know what they did with the bodies? See, Romans don't care. I mean, they don't, you, can't sacri- you can't crucify a Roman citizen. So anybody they crucified was not a Roman citizen. So the Romans didn't care. And they would take the bodies off the cross and throw them in mass graves. And sometimes cover them up, sometimes not cover them up. So what are they going to do with Jesus' body? Well, it just so happens that two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, come to Pilate and say, we want the body. And Pilate goes, is he already dead? And they go, yeah, yeah, he's already dead. Bring one of those soldiers in here. Is he already dead? Yeah, he's dead. Okay, you can have the body. And we're going to see him come get the body and what they do with the body of Jesus, our Savior. We'll see it in the next couple of weeks. Let me give you some applications, some things to think about. First of all, let's realize that Jesus Christ's death opened the way to God. See, the veil was torn, and the veil was symbolic of saying that you can't come to God and without some kind of mediator. Jesus Christ is the one that comes and dies on the cross and pays for the sins. He is the Son of God. He is Jesus, the one that paid the payment for the sin of mankind. The way is open. As I look at this, I put trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. As you know, I look out the room, I see I know almost everybody here, but there are people who are watching on Facebook that maybe you've never understood, that you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Understand that he died on the cross to pay for sin and he rose again to conquer death and he offers the gift of eternal life to all who believe. And so when you believe in him, you have eternal life. And as John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. Right where you're sitting, wherever you are, you can trust in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. That is the promise. The second part of this is for us believers. Just remember, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16, because it's now open to us. We can come to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. We don't have to have a go-between because we already have the go-between. Jesus Christ is the mediator, and so we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let's realize this. The second one is, let's realize that death is not the end. When we look at Jesus Christ, even death on the cross, and we say, oh, how sad this is, it's not the end. He died and rose again. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Jesus Christ died and rose again, and all people, think about this, all people will be raised from the dead. Some to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, that's called eternal life. Some to spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ, that's called the second death. It all comes by faith. If you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have the second death. I hope and pray that everyone in this room and everyone listening has put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Vance Havner said this. He said, resurrection is not an it. It's in a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Resurrection is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. May we thank God through Jesus Christ, not only for eternal life, but that we can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus Christ has died to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. 